So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Simon, or so Peter and the other disciples went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple who had come to the tomb, who had come first to the tomb, then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. And so the disciples went away again to their own home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped, looked into the tomb, and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to Mary, or Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Father, I just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. Father, as we look at a, a long portion of narrative this morning, I just I pray, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate this text for us and so that we could understand it. Father, even as we see within the text that scripture and, and things and events in life are not always easy to interpret or even easy to understand. And that's why we ask your spirit to illuminate this for us so that we can understand not only the meaning, but also on uh, how to apply it to our life 2,000 years after the events have occurred. And so, Lord, I just pray uh, that you would lead and guide our thoughts and our minds this morning. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. The first thought after seeing the empty tomb was not that a resurrection had taken place, but that a relocation had taken place. The thought is a legitimate one. The chief priests, if you remember, and the Pharisees, they had their own concerns. And they went to Pilate after the crucifixion of Jesus. 
And they asked Pilate that the tomb of Jesus be guarded because they recall the, the disciples of Jesus as saying that Jesus will rise from the dead. And so they wanted the tomb guarded just in case the disciples tried pulling a fast one. And after the resurrection of Jesus, if you recall, these same leaders, I guess as we'll see next week, but these same leaders went to Jesus or went to the, to the Pilate uh, because the guards uh, uh, let Jesus out of the tomb evidently. And so they went to Pilate and they said, look, we'll pay you this money uh, or to the guards, we'll pay you this money, but go to Pilate and tell Pilate that the disciples came while we were sleeping and they stole the body from the tomb. It is human nature to want to make or give definition to extraordinary events, to explain unbelievable events in a way of understanding. But when it comes to faith, when it comes to their faith, when it, when it comes to our faith, no definition can be given to offer acceptable understandings to what has just taken place in their life or at times what has taken place in our life. That something has happened is certain. But we find ourselves at a loss for words at to how or how this something has happened. We are left with only being able to say it was a work of God. And that is where we find ourselves today in today's portion of Scripture. John simply says in the text that I read here before you here that the stone had already been rolled away. Matthew, as he tries to explain, he says that a severe earthquake had occurred and the stone was rolled away. Luke says that as the ladies walked to the tomb, they were asking each other how they can possibly roll the stone away. But as they approached the tomb, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away or removed, and a young man was sitting there Presumably, this young man is the one who rolled away this particular stone. But all this gives question. All this gives way to a larger question. And that is the body of Jesus is missing. What are they to make of the empty tomb? There is no dispute the body of Jesus is missing. So how do they explain this? And so this morning, today, I have only two headings out of this large portion of, of Scripture. I only have two headings. I broke it into two parts. And the first heading is seeing is believing. And the second heading is seeing is surrender. Seeing is believing and seeing is surrender. And we'll start with seeing is believing in verses 1 through 10. And before we even get started there, I want to offer you this, that if the events of chapter 20 did not happen, then all the events leading up, so the first 19 chapters are meaningless and are pointless if the events of the 20th chapter did not happen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 8. Matthew had this to say. He said that they, the, the women, they went to the, they left the tomb after observing the tomb. They left the tomb quickly and in fear, and with great joy, and they ran to give this report to the disciples. Mark ends his chapter somewhat interestingly, and he says it like this. He says that they, 
went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. That's just how Mark leaves his gospel. There's some extra verses that are added there that the earlier manuscripts do not include and should not be part of the text. Mark just ends the text right there. Period. What do we make of that? Luke tells us that after the ladies reported the empty tomb to the disciples, that these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling, trying to make sense of, trying to give definition to what happened. I just go through that little exercise to put it before us because I think sometimes we are so immune to the story. We know the story inside and out and outside and in, if you can say it that way also, that we're so familiar with it that we fail to see the absurdity of the story, right? I mean, just think about what I just read and and how they responded to that story. And yet for you and I on this side of the events, on this side of the tomb in 2021, which is very quickly becoming 2022, can you believe that? But, But nonetheless, that we just fail maybe to grasp the, the, the events. And we just believe them. And we just accept them as fact, as the way it is. Right? Or do we? Do we really accept and understand the facts surrounding this story? Oh, I know we say we do. And I know that we may believe we actually do. But I want to ask you this morning... Do you understand the absurdity of the story and the absurdity of what you, what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, say we believe? They didn't believe it at first. In verse 8 of our text here today, some want to uh, make a case uh, for, for what I just laid out. Some want to make a case that the disciples were one step away from unbelief. That they were to the point of saying, I don't believe this either. But yet they look in and they see. And therefore, as it says, that John looked in, that he saw, and that he believed. And I guess just maybe as a footnote or a side note, if you will, I find it very interesting the details that John decides to include in his storytelling. And that's what we have. We've got the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not part of the Synoptic Gospels. John is the only one who was present through the whole duration of these events. And he records his account. Not something different, but he fills in details that some of the other Gospel writers leave out. And I find it really interesting how John adds this little footnote, or adds this little piece here in verse 4, that, that they were running together, And that Peter and the other disciples, they went forward and that they were running together. And the other disciple, speaking of himself, was faster than Peter. He he was faster. I just find that really interesting. Why would he include that little detail? I have no idea. And so if you have an idea, I would be glad to, to understand that. 
But the interesting thing of those little details, for those who want to say these stories are made up, I'm not so sure you can explain some of these little details away. I just find it very interesting for us to be able to, to laugh at the humanity of the disciples. And it just shows that they were no different than you and I. You know, they also were, were pretty competitive. I mean, I mean, not, not me. John may be faster at running, but I guarantee I could have ridden a bike there faster than he could have. Right? And so just the competitiveness and just the, the humanness of the disciples. And so let's be careful that we don't elevate them to a place that Scripture itself does not elevate them to. They're no different than you and I. And so they too struggled. They too grappled and wrestled with this empty tomb. And verse 9 then would tell us, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that He, Jesus, must rise from the dead. I was going to walk through the text a little bit and show you all the times that Jesus Himself told them He's going to rise from the dead. But I'm going to, that may be a bit more details than you're up for this morning. I can get bogged down in some of those details, but I find it fascinating. It's like, guys, how many times does Jesus have to tell you this is exactly what was going to happen? And yet they didn't believe it. And so again, we see the humanity of the disciples. But I do want to go to, um, to make my point, because I got one point, two points for each section, one point, two points for the whole text. And, and my first point, I, I want to go to Matthew or Luke chapter 24. And it's the road to Emmaus. We're so familiar with this story. We love the story. We like to spiritualize the story. We like to put all kinds of meaning into the story. Uh, and, and I don't want to do, do that any of that this morning. But I just want to point out to you here this morning that as they were walking to Emmaus, you're familiar with the story, are you not? You can go read it. Uh, I would suggest you do read it for yourself. Luke chapter 24. As the two disciples are walking to Emmaus, Jesus comes alongside and says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you like the only person alive? that hasn't heard what was going on in the news. I mean, speaking about the news, the news has been, we all know what's going on in the world and as of late, right? I mean, are you the only one, Jesus, who, who, don't know, who doesn't know what is, what is going on in the world? And then we'll pick it up at verse 25, and Jesus said to them, Oh, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, all that you were told, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then Jesus expounds upon the text. He says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all of the scriptures. And then their minds were opened so that they could understand what had been said and what had been written about them. I find it really, really interesting that Jesus himself went to the prophets. That's Matthew, or that's, the, that's all the Old Testament, the, the prophets, the Psalms. And he went to them and he highlighted and, and, and he opened up the text to show all the places within the text that speak of Jesus and speak of him so that they could understand. Because we have to remember, and this is something else that sometimes we fail to re remember or think about, that they didn't have the New Testament. I mean, obviously, because it was before the cross, right? And these things they did not have written there before him. But for us today in 2022, we have the complete canon of Scripture. It is done. It is complete. There's no more additions that are going to be added to it. Nothing else is going to be distracted from it. We have the completed Scripture from which to draw our conclusions. This is the importance of believing Scripture 
And this is my first point that I want to get to here this morning. This is the importance as we see here in our text and as we see what Jesus did for the, the, the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, the inerrancy, the inspiration, and the authority that Jesus Himself places upon the Scripture. And as I've said so many times, and I will say it again this morning, outside of Scripture, we've got nothing. Outside of Scripture, we've got nothing. Oh, but I know. But where do we hear about what you were just going to insert there? This is the, this is the main function of the Holy Spirit, is to illuminate the text for us so that we can understand and so that we can believe. Jesus said in John chapter 2, He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So when He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken to them. In Matthew chapter 12, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, where, where, where the Pharisees and the religious leaders were asking Jesus, they said, listen, Jesus, we're, we're going to need another sign beside the, the half dozen or so that you've already given us. We, we need another sign. And so Jesus said this. He answered them and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What is Jesus doing? Jesus takes them back to Scripture and He says, here's your proof. Here's your sign. And there's many today who are looking for signs and wonders and miracles and they will and are being absolutely led astray. Scripture is sufficient for us to live a faithful and, and uh, uh, life as a follower of Jesus. Some want to say, well, Jonah wasn't a literal story. Well, if Jonah wasn't a literal story, why is Jesus giving it to us as a literal story? Jesus is saying, because of the story that you all learned about as good little Jewish boys in Sunday school, that story, look at that story, and you can look at that story, and then you can look at what I'm telling you. Well, if that story is not true, Jesus, why should I believe that you're going to rise from the dead? Right? Doesn't mean it's easy for us to understand. But my friends, we must, we must believe in the inspiration, the inerrancy, the authority of Scripture. Outside of Scripture, we have got Nothing. And that's doctrine number one for you this morning. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because the Scripture tells us so. We don't unhitch from the Old Testament. No, but we use the Old Testament to help us think through and to understand the New Testament. Some want to say, well, we don't have to believe a lot of these things in the Scripture. All we have to believe is that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't believe in a book, as one famous person likes to say. We don't believe in a book. We believe in an event. 
Well, it's a catchy and it's a nice saying. But as I like to challenge this guy, listen, outside of the book, you don't know about the event. You see, you see the problem we find for ourselves when we want to pick and choose. Well, I'm not saying it's easy. But what I'm saying is we must start there. And so from this portion of Scripture, listen, to be Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a believer in Jesus, I know that Muslim and a lot of other faiths want to say they believe in Jesus. No, they don't. They don't. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Not that he was a good teacher, not that he was a good man, but that he was the man. That he was and is the Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's exactly what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I read this also last week. Verses 3, for I delivered to you what is first important, what I also received, that what? That Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. How do we know that? According to Scripture. And that He also appeared to Cephas and to the twelve and lots of other folks. Jump down to verse 14. Paul says, listen, if Christ had not raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify that God had raised Christ, whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Listen, this is the hope that Christians have, isn't it? Yes, we grieve those who go on before us. But the hope is that they will rise again. Why? Because the Bible tells us Jesus rose again. Therefore, those who die in Christ will also rise again. Paul continues in verse 20 and he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. Listen to that word. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit after those who are Christ are coming. And, and now I want you to focus in on the first fruits because this will link back to the Levitical law back in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10, that they were told as they enter into the new land, that as they enter paradise, you could say, as they enter the promised land, said, hey, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land, which I am going to give you and reap a harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priests. Listen, the very first thing that they were to do to be prosperous, to be faithful, was to give from the fruits of the land first. And Paul is saying that's Jesus. Jesus is the first to die and to rise again and ascend to heaven. Those uh, who die after Jesus in Christ will do the same. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. John looked into the tomb before Scripture. He looked into the tomb. He seen the body was gone. Therefore, he believed. And what I'm saying is, as we read our text, as we rely upon the Holy Spirit, seeing, we will see also from Scripture. And with that, we will also believe. Here are the disciples. They reconcile the events that just unfolded with scriptural understanding. Old Testament scriptural understanding. 
Everything starts with Scripture on this side of the cross. Everything. We cannot believe past. We cannot believe part and dismiss part. It is either all true or none of it is reliable. You see what I did there? We we, we either believe it all as true or none of it is reliable. I didn't say none of it isn't true, but how do we discern which portions are which many want to do today? Well, this part's true, but this part isn't. Well, maybe. But really, you're going to live your life like that? So now you're God to determine which parts are true and which parts are not true. That's the position I don't want to be in. Well, seeing is believing. Second, I want to offer to you, seeing is surrendering. Seeing is surrendering in verses 11 through verse 18. The scene of Mary at the garden tomb, it's a beautiful picture of dedication. I mean, think about it. The guys are just being guys. Looked in, yep, he's deserted us. We're going home. We're going fishing, whatever it may be, as we're going to see. Or yet we believe, but not Mary. Not Mary. The heart of Mary was not satisfied. Her mind was not convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, Mary is a realist. She's saying, listen, I know, but I don't know. I need some evidence. Unlike Peter and John, she was not just going to accept the facts before her. No, she needed a thorough investigation. And, 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 and no worries, I'm not going to give you a thorough investigation here, here this morning because I know I'm preaching to a choir. I'm giving you my two points this morning and depending upon you to, to agree. And if you don't agree, then it's upon you to study your scriptures and uh, decide why you don't agree with that. But verse 11, Mary says that, um, it says that, but Mary, standing outside the tomb weeping, And so as she wept, now we need to understand that she's not just standing outside the tomb shedding a few tears. She is uncontrollably weeping. I mean, she's overcome with grief. And as she looked into the tomb, she sees two angels in white. And again, we must understand white, not just as a white that some of you have on, but as a, as a, as a glowing white. It was, it, was, it was gleaming. It was just shining very brightly there before her. And these two guys are sitting there where Jesus, where the body of Jesus had been. And oh, by the way, the linen wrappings were all wrapped up really nice. Well, if you know anything about the process they went through to anoint the body of Jesus, it was like a sticky gum that they would also put upon the body and in between the layers. And then it was like a, a powder, uh, 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 spices and things that were put on. Can you imagine unrolling that and laying it and folding it very nice? It's another detail, and there's much more meaning that could be given to that, and and I'm not going to get into that here today, but it's just another little detail that John John adds for us. And she asked these two guys a question. And what's her question? I mean, what's at the heart of Mary? And And she says, I am weeping. You want to know why I'm weeping, guys? Because they have taken away my Lord. They have taken away my Master. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. And at this point, Mary, for some reason, John says, turns around and sees Jesus. We don't know why. I mean, much speculation can be given to Jesus. We don't know. We we don't know why, but Mary turned around and sees Jesus. And, And John says, but Mary didn't recognize Jesus. 
Why didn't she recognize Jesus? We don't know. Other than she was so overcome with this grief and she, she, she knew Jesus was dead. She, she saw him upon that cross. She saw, seen him taken off the cross. She seen him laid in that tomb. I mean, in her mind, Jesus is indeed dead. And she asked Jesus the same question. The same question, thinking he's the gardener. Where is she? Or where, where is Jesus? And then Jesus calls out to Mary and says, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. Now, I mean, I, I could spiritualize that and boy, I could preach an evangelistic sermon on that, could I not? Has Jesus called your name? <laughs> right? I could do that. But this is exactly what Jesus did here to Mary. And then Mary recognized the voice of Jesus. And she clung to Jesus and stopped clinging to me, Jesus says. Some like to say because he hasn't risen, he hasn't been purified, he hasn't been glorified yet, he hasn't gone to the Father. No, I don't think so. I think Jesus is just saying, listen, I'm going to be with you another 40 days. Go and tell the guys. Stop clinging to me and go and tell the guys. I haven't left yet. I haven't gone to be with the Father yet. There's going to be a party. There's going to be a celebration in the upper room that we're going to get to, that we're going to see next week or the following. And she says, go and tell them. It's the Easter message, is it not? Go and tell my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. That is the message of Easter, is it not? That is the message of the Christian. That is the responsibility of the Christian is to go and tell others of Jesus. But my point here this morning in doctrine number two, if you want to, label it as such it's just simply and this is the the lordship of christ the lordship of christ a few more minutes and i'm done the lordship of christ listen if scripture is true all of it then the message of jesus is true and jesus is who jesus says he is who is he he is our master who are we we are his doulos we are his slave we're not his bondservant. We're not his servant. I know it's offensive, and I know we don't like that language today, but that is literally the text. Jesus is master. We are his slave. If the message of the Scripture is true, that is who you and I are. If Jesus is not your Lord, if Jesus is not your master, he is not your Savior. That's the Lordship of Christ. We want to think about Christ being the Messiah, being the Savior, and we forget about the Lordship of Christ, the centrality of Christ. We want to cherry-pick stories of Jesus that fit into our life, into the narrative we want to paint, that fit into our culture, into our climate. That's what we want to do but it doesn't work that way. It is all or nothing. The risen Jesus is master. We are his slave. If Jesus is not your Lord, listen, hear me. If Jesus is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. Father, I, I thank you for this story. I thank you for the absurdity of it. And that knowing that there's nothing within my abilities that I have to believe such a story, 
outside of your spirit illuminating it for me. And so, Father, I ask your spirit to search throughout the hearts and the minds and the souls of each person sitting here. Lord, starting with me. Father, are you our Lord? Are you my master? Are you our master? And if that is true, the story is true, Lord, what demand does that place upon my life, upon our individual life, upon our life corporately as a church? How do we live and respond and relate in community with each other and with the world, with our workplace, with our city, with our town, with our state, and just snowballs out from there, Lord? But above all, Lord, I pray that you indeed would search our hearts and minds and have your way among us. Pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.